All righty. Lord, we thank you. I believe he does want to wake us up, don't you? Remember it said it's high time to wake out of sleep. It's time to wake up, isn't it? Did you know the number one question asked in the whole world? Now, the most repetitive asked question in the whole world is this. What time is it? If anybody should know what time it is, it ought to be the prophets of God. The Bible said we should operate under the anointing of the sons of Issachar. They had understanding of the times to know what the people of God should be committing themselves to. So it's not a time to go, I don't know. I'll tell you what time we're in. We're in a very important time. We're in the time of the end and the end of time. We're in the time that God wants to reap the whole harvest of the end of the age. I'm telling you, God is up to something. Romans 13, 11 said, it is knowing what a critical hour this is, how that it is high time now to awake from our sleep. One translation says, rouse to reality. Oh, the church needs to rouse to reality. I, I want that, don't you? David, we've had a wonderful time. Thank you guys for hosting the conference. It's wonderful and I'm so excited about what God's up to. Isn't this a treasure out here in the woods? Yeah, I, it really is. It really is. And I like that. Just imagine this. God's going to fill this whole place with people all out in these, out in these uh, fields. Uh, the greatest move of God is yet to come. You need to understand that. We're not, you, listen, I am telling you, I appreciate everything God's done in the past. We esteem that and we draw from that, but the best is yet to come. I'm telling you, this whole earth has to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Those are things that's going to happen. Now, it really is. God, God is not just, uh, one time Jesus told me, he said, you tell my people I'm not a politician seeking to be elected. I say what I mean and mean what I say. He said, I don't spew rhetoric. When God tells us something, he'll pull it off. You believe that? He really will. So we're delighted to be here, happy, happy to be here. Now, it was good to hear the, some folks from uh, Hong Kong. Uh, I was looking on my schedule this morning before I left the house. I'm scheduled to be in Hong Kong the first of uh, January, in January. So we'll be in Singapore and Hong Kong and some of those places over in there. And so we'll have a good time. So if you got some folks in Hong Kong, tell them, get ready. Yeah, but I, I'll have to carry a fork with me because I'm not very good with chopsticks. Oh, man. Listen, I'd be a lot thinner if I ate with chopsticks. You know, but thank God for a fork. Yeah. I can use fork and fingers pretty good, you know. So we're, we're headed to Hong Kong. Uh, I think it's the first week of, uh, or maybe second week of January 2016. And so we're looking forward to that already. We've been there before, hadn't we? Yeah. And so anyway, I, I want us to pray and then we're going to jump right into the message. Father, I want to thank you for the finished work of Calvary. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You paid it all. All to you we owe. And we want to thank you for how, how lavishly you've loved us. You've loved us with an everlasting love. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would be our teacher today. I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray right now that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with the revelatory light. We would have a grasp and a comprehension of your wonderful ways. So Holy Spirit be our teacher. We say yes to you. Flow any way and every way that pleases you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, if you, if you will, we have a book table out here. Chris Martin, one of our associates, is working the book table and helping us there and done a wonderful job. He, he knows how to do all that. I, I, I don't They'll ask me, how much does that book cost? I, I don't know, and I really don't. But uh, my wife and Chris, they got it all figured out. For 20 years on the Day of Atonement, I have a visitation from Jesus Christ. 
and he tells me something that's going to happen in the future, and I write it in the book. This is the 20th year book right here. This, this one right here. And, and now, that, that's a mouthful what I just said. For 20 years, on the Day of Atonement, I have a visitation from Jesus Christ. I'm either lying or for 20 years on the Day of Atonement, I have a visitation from Jesus Christ. He'll tell me some of the things that's going to happen in the future, and I write it in the book called The Shepherd's Rod. Bob Jones has done it for decades and decades and decades, and, but this is my 20th year to do it. And I'm telling you what, uh, this one could be the most important one we've ever written because this one says, prepare my people to be surprised. What? And there's a word coming, and it's the word awestruck. This is the year that God reintroduces himself to his people. Remember John the Revelator? Biggest buddy Jesus had, he's on the Isle of Patmos, but he's reintroduced to Jesus. He said, I heard a voice behind me, I turned, and he sees the resurrected, ruling redeemer, and he falls at his feet as though he were dead. So the big word for, 20, uh, for 2015 is awestruck. I'll, I'll just read it to you. Okay, it says, an awestruck world suddenly discovers almighty God reigns. Oh, man. It, say, it says in Psalms 115, verse 3, the heathen, they say, where is your God? I'll tell you what, he's going to answer the mock of the heathen because he's going to be mighty in the midst of his people. What God started with power will continue in power. You know that, don't you? The church is not going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. Now, what's going to happen is a sifting and a shaking to the church so the real church will wake up. I tell you, there's a lot of people attend meetings that are not Christians. They're, they've got their name on a church roll. They've been christened, sprinkled, confirmed, and all of that, but they're not regenerated. They don't have a new heart. They don't have, you understand that? They, they're trying to con, con, conform to some uh, new habits, but you can't do that. It's not by works of righteousness, which we do. You, being born again is not a suggestion. Remember Nicodemus? Remember, remember Nick? said there was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. This is John 3. Now, now listen, what in the world does that mean, a ruler of the Jews? Well, it meant he kept 480 Levitical laws a day. It meant that he could quote the first five books of the Bible. So this guy knew something about religion, didn't he? But when he realized, I need what Jesus has, he came to Jesus by night. Remember what he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher coming from God. Nobody can pull this off that you're doing except that God be with him. Now, I find that already serious. There's, there's Nick talking in the plural. We know, but Jesus won't let you hide in the crowd. You know what I mean? He said, you must be born again. Now watch this. I'll show you what sends most folks to hell. Most folks are going to hell because of the next statement. Remember Jesus said to Nick, you must be born again. And Nick says, what? How can that be? How can I enter a second time into mama's womb? See, most people go to hell trying to figure out salvation. Not one single verse in the Bible tells you to try to figure it out. Matter of fact, it tells you to quit it. The next verse tells, he said, marvel. I'm, I'm screaming. He says, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Marvel not means quit trying to use human intellectuality to figure out spiritual principle. Okay. Oh, Nick. I like Nick, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Well, anyway, let me ask you this. Have you been born again? Well, I'm trying. No, no, that's not. No, you're trusting. There's a difference between trying and trusting. I'm telling you, we're going to fi figure out some things before this thing is over. It's all of God and none of us. 
I, I'm, you, do you like verses hardly anybody ever preaches out of? Here's one. The bed's too short and the cover's too narrow to get any rest. That's in the Bible. And it's talking about people who attempt to get right with God on their own terms. The bed's too short and the cover's too narrow to get any rest. Yeah, here's another one. You've poured me out like milk, but you've curdled me like cheese. Now, now I don't care who's been here. You're not going to find a whole series of that out in the bookstore. That's in the Bible. You've poured me out like milk, but you've curdled me like cheese. That's Job 10.10. What does it mean? It means we started out a splatter and ended up a matter. Isn't that cool? Say purpose. That's what the whole thing's about. So anyway, visit the book table. Then here's our next book. This, this one's called uh, Walking in the Light, Discovering Divine Purpose. This is our latest book. And what we did, we wrote it in small chapters. There's 22 chapters here. The first one says, get ready for a fresh start. And then uh, chapter 19 says, how to live firm in a shaky world. Boy, we need that, don't we? And so I wrote it in these small chapters so you can do it like a daily devotional. And uh, it's 240-something pages, I think. But you'll enjoy that one. And then here's the, here's the other one. I, I, I wrote this one, uh, I guess maybe I, I did it for three years or four years. The Lord said, announce somebody's going to write a book about legacy and lineage line and, and, and transform a generation. I'd go to the meetings. I'd say, somebody's going to write a book on legacy and lineage line, and it's going to transform a generation. Nobody picked it up. Finally, my wife, Carolyn, says, Carolyn, stand up. This is Carolyn. Come here. What did you say to me about this? Come I just told Bobby, I said, well, do you think that um, the Lord spoke it to you? Do you think you may be the man that's supposed to, to write it or the person to write it? Could yeah, have been I a said, woman. Never dawned on me to do that. So I said, Lord, do you want me to write the book Legacy and Lineage Line? He said, yes. So I said, okay. Boom, it came like a deluge. It came like a flood. And boy, I wrote it down, I wrote it down, and I, okay, thank you. you. You can say anything you want to. Oh, I just want to say it worked. Chris, he is, I think, out at the book table and just takes care of us, but what a godsend that he has been in our life. Our, our boys has got to be, come to Texas a couple of times, so, and you know he was in, here in Moravian Falls to uh, intern for uh, a good friend of ours, Gary Oates and Kathy, and anyway, so that, his internship Andy, but he stayed on, and uh, I'd had a dream about a, a Chris um, young man that was in our church in Texas, and like peering into our windows at the front of our house in Moravian Falls, and some uh, a while later, I determined that that was uh, probably the Lord showing me Chris Martin, and I'll never forget one day, and I told Bobby, I said, you know, we need such help, and and I said, I hope there's not a gold mine right across the road because Chris and his wife, Sherry, and two children live right across the road. So we just set up a time and at Subway, one of our favorite places. We're living proof you can live off Subway. That's right. <laughs> but any, anyway, wherever Chris is, and uh, anyway, and he has served us for five years. Good coming up this shepherd's rod and our family, and so he's like part of our family. And what a... Blessing and Godsend, he's truly been. so, And the Lord knows what all we need and the help and the friends and someone to hold our arms up when we're weary. So we praise God for all of the people that the Lord uses in all of our lives for being such a blessing to us and loving us and 
assisting us. So thank you, Christopher Martin. There we love is, you. Yeah. And so come up. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Come here, Chris. Chris is all no. Said, Chris said, I'm getting out while the getting's good. Yeah, he's not coming. He won't come. Uh, you, we'll see him at the book table. All right. Well, thank God for heifers. The quickest way to get promoted in the kingdom of God right now is servanthood. Quickest way to get promoted is servanthood. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You remember that? So anyway, the Legacy and Lineage Line book. So I started it, and all what came just in, it was going really, really good. Then I got busy. I go a couple of places a week all over the world preaching. I've been preaching 46 They shouldn't put so many buttons on these things. It only has one, but you know. So uh, here's the deal. This year I've been preaching 46 years, and I've averaged speaking five times a week for 45 years. So I go a lot, a lot of places. So I got busy, and I pushed the Legacy and Lineage book aside. So I'm driving down the road one day, going to the airport to go to a, a meeting, and the Lord Jesus said to me, Hey, Bobby. How's your Legacy and Lineage Line book coming along? And he said it in kind of a coy tone. I said, uh, um, so you can't lie to God. I mean, you, you may lie to your boss or maybe lie to you. You can't lie to God. And I said, uh, I got busy, and I pushed it aside. And his tone changed, and he said, I intend for you to cancel every meeting that you've got. I intend for you to get to a secluded place and finish the book. So I canceled some meetings, got down to a secluded place in the Angelina River bottom and finished the book. Well, that book was the first one, the first edition. It sold out like you couldn't believe. And then the Lord said, I want you to rewrite the book and add more to it. So this is the, the revised second edition of Legacy and Lineage Line, and it talks about how to break off ancestral curses and how to amplify the blessings of God and how to put out a perennial blessing, a spoken word blessing on your lineage line. Here's what the Bible said. The Bible says, the, up, the seed of the upright will be mighty in the earth. Psalms 112, verse 2. Isaiah 44, 3 and 4 says, I'll pour water upon him that is thirsty, floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants, and they'll spring up like willows by waterway. So in this book, we talk to you about how to break off ancestral curses off your lineage line and how to amplify the blessings of God. So anyway, that's I better get out of here and start talking. Okay, I'll give these to you, Pastor. God bless your heart. You're welcome. We will have a book signing later. Yeah, Jesus came to me and said, I want you to sign books. I said, I don't sign books. He said to me, you do now. So the first time I ever signed a book, so help me God, uh, a, a I knew my name, so I signed it. And a lady, walked, she bought the book, and I said, what's your name? She said, Donna. And I said, is it D-O-N-N-A? And she said, yes. So I was pinning down the word D-O-N-N-A, and when the pen made the last A, a Bible passage just drifted across my spirit just like that. So I thought, I'll write the passage down. And as I finished the passage, she falls in the floor. She starts hyperventilating, ah, ah, crying, laughing at the same time. That's it. That's the verse my mother used to train me. And hundreds of things like that have happened. God grew a guy a finger at the book table. God healed a 40, guy, a guy was 40 years stone deaf in his ear and got healed at the book table. It was a, it was a crazy thing, man. Uh, there he was. And so I said, sir, can I pray for you? And he goes, that's why I'm here. So I, I ran my fingers. I, he's nearly 90. 
I ran my fingers in his ears, and his daughter said, yes, he's been stone deaf in this ear, and his other ear is going out. So I ran my ear, fingers in his ears, and I said, Lord, heal. And when I got to Lord, heal, it felt like oil pumped out of my fingers. And so I jerked my fingers out, they dry as a bone, and the old man was totally healed. His daughter got back there, at least from here to that flag, and would whisper. And I couldn't even hear her, and he'd go, yeah, I hear. And he could re re reply everything she was whispering. Isn't that something? So stuff like that happens. So we'll, we'll have a book signing here at a while. That'll be fun. Now, don't go to church and not have fun. Remember what the Bible says? Psalm 16, 11 says, In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't like that Jesus picture you see. He looks like a Holocaust victim. His eyes are sunk back in his head and his skin. I know the Bible said he's a man acquainted with sorrow, but it also says he was anointed with oil of gladness far above his brothers. Jesus, the happiest man ever walked. Do you know that? Ah, that's true. Oh, listen, I, I got, got a good feeling when I pulled up and saw some motorcycles out there. Woo! First time my wife ever saw me, I was riding an Indian motorcycle down a snow-covered road, and I'd shaved every hair off my head with a razor, and I'd put Vaseline on my head so it would shine. Yeah. <laughs> Ugly, wasn't it? Yeah. That Indian motorcycle been worth a ton of money today. The last motorcycle, my wife, you know, I'm the kind that if it's going to run, let's crank it on. You know what I mean? So my wife said, Bobby, please don't ride motorcycles. And so I said to her, I'll try not to. That's what I said. And the last motorcycle I got on to, uh, I was, uh, this guy roared up on a ninja. One of those, cr it was 1,100cc ninja. So he said, you want to ride? You want to ride this thing? I go, yeah. So he got off. I put on his black visor helmet, flopped down the thing. It run, it would run 126 miles an hour in eight seconds, faster than an Indy car. So <laughs> I pulled out on Highway 69 in Texas. There's two lanes going this way and two lanes over there going that way. So I pulled over there. I cranked her up. That thing was blowing so fast that it had my eyes nearly blown too under the visor. <laughs> I had that thing wrapped out, and guess who I met? Carolyn was in the other lane. She goes, that looked like Bobby's clothes. That's what she said. I, yeah, oh yeah, we were supposed to have a church picnic. So I got busted. I came back to the church parking lot. I might as well have been on a moped. Remember that? So I got off the bike, and she said, you told me you wouldn't ride motorcycles anymore. I said, nope, I told you I'd try not to. <laughs> but, you know, I'm thinking about one of those spiders, the two wheels in the front. What do you think? She, she, I about had her talked into it, but then she said, no, nah, that won't work. You know, but, you know, anyway, I better get back off of that. But I have, never, I have never liked just mundane stuff. If you're going to do it, do it full open. I figure, why walk if you can skip? You know what I mean? Don't, don't you enjoy living? I'm going to tell you something. I'll be 72 this year. I entertain myself. You know what I mean? Listen, I don't like people that are always down in the dumps. Oh, you don't know what I'm going through. Hey, you're going through it. 
You won't be captured in the middle of it. And right in the middle of it, God hollers time out and throws you a party. That's Psalms 23. Remember that? You prepare a table before me in the presence of enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Well, here's the message. I better get into it and quit this talking. Is he behaving himself? Is he okay? Are you behaving yourself? Oh, man. Uh, well, what's new? <laughs> How you doing? Here's what I want to talk about today. You want to? I want to talk to you about holding on to hope because one day can make all the difference in the world. I want to talk to you about don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your vision and, and what God has promised you because the whole thing can change him one day. Here's your verse. You, got a ver you want a verse? Here it is. Psalms 30, verse 5. Psalms chapter 30, verse 5. It says God's anger, God's disappointment is but for a short moment. His favor is for an entire lifetime. Then here's the part of that you remember. Psalms 30, verse 5. God's anger is but for a brief moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Here it is. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I want to talk to you about what a difference one day can make. Watch this. Here it is. Matthew, not Matthew, Mark, say Mark in the gospel, Mark chapter 5. Have you read Mark chapter 5? The first about 15, 20 verses deals with a guy I call the nude, rude dude. Woo! Mark chapter 5, have you read it? Here it is, Mark chapter 5 verse 1. It says, when Jesus Christ and the disciples get across the Sea of Gazaret and it's the little gangplank comes down off the ship and Jesus steps out, it says, immediately... That means right then. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling in the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not night or day because night and day he was in the mountains and the tombs crying, screaming, slashing himself with stones. Woo, that's the greeting committee for Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, get in the boat, boys? No. He began to challenge the demons in this man. Now, have you read that story? This guy's a lunatic, absolutely maniac, not one stitch of clothes on. He's been living for years up in the mountains and the tombs, suicidal. They couldn't restrain him. They'd chain him up, boom. Demonic power in him would break the chains. And he was tormenting the people night and day all around there, screaming. And so when Jesus comes, he comes running off the mountainside. And he says, Jesus! What have you to do with me, the Son of the Most High God? And guess what happens? It says in your Bible, he fell before Jesus. And I looked it up, and it means he bowed in worship. All the demons in him couldn't keep, them, keep him from doing what God gave him power to do. And when Jesus shows up, I want you to know this, anybody is harvestable. And so Jesus is dialoguing with this man. He said, there he is. Can't you see him? Hair matted, scars, scabs, pus all over him from living in this in tombs and suicidal. And so there he is, and he's on his all fours before Jesus. And Jesus says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we're many. Wow. See, now, if, you, if a modern-day psychologist was analyzing this, they would go, yes, this, he's, he's multiple personalities. Ain't no such thing as multiple personalities. It's one person, many demons. When it says under the control of demons, they, the writer of the book of Mark used a word, a Greek word called demonitsamaya. Demonitsamaya means under the total control of devils. 
Now, anybody dibbling and dabbling in the occult and witchcraft, that's the final fruit of it. See, the thing that got me before anything else was somebody failed that boy. He didn't start out like that. He was somebody's bouncing baby boy. Remember, train up a child in the way that he's do. When he's old, he won't depart from it. So somebody failed this kid when he's little, didn't they? Say yes. So there he comes. There's the fruit of it. What's your name? Legion, for we're many. And the demons begin to say, don't send us out of the country. Send us into those pigs. Up on the hillside, there's about 2,000 pigs. So Jesus gives those demons permission to get out of this guy, and they go get in those pigs. Those pigs are, oh, we got more sense to live like this. No, they didn't say that. I don't think they said anything, but they went nuts and ran swiftly down to the sea, jumped in the sea, and drowned. That's what it says. About 2,000 of them. And the guys that was tending the pigs, they ran into town. And they said to the guys that owned the pigs, you better get out of here. Something's coming down. You know, nowadays they'd have text. Get out of here. Something's coming down. Good Lord. This, I don't, they call it social media. It's taking over the world. Social media. Hmm. Well, I think I'm about half jealous because I don't know how to use it. <laughs> Somebody said, do you do? What was it? No, Yeah, that tweet, but the other thing about where you can do this uh, per periscope. <laughs> periscope. You can just say something and Shoot it out to your friends. See, I could be periscoping right now. Yes, I tell you what. Anyway, get out of here. Something's coming down. And here they come. They came back out of town to go out there to see what's happening at the pig farm. Remember the story? And when they come, the Bible said they see the lunatic. Now he's seated, clothed. In his right mind. Seated, clothed, in his right mind. And it looks like those pig keepers would have fell on their face, go, Shabbatah. Hallelujah. This is what we've longed for. That ain't what they said. They said to Jesus, Hey, pack your bags, get out of here. Cost too much to have you here. They'd rather have the profit of several thousand pigs than have a revival from Jesus. And so they're trying to get Jesus to leave. And the guy that's just been delivered says, Oh, Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus said, Nope, go back to your friends and your family. Show them, tell them, reveal to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And it says he went back to Decapitus, a 10-city region, and evangelized. And it says, All men did marvel. Now watch this. The theme is, Hang on to hope. What a difference one day can make. This guy woke up a maniac, went to bed a missionary. <laughs> hey! What do you think? Woke up a lunatic maniac, went to bed a missionary. Didn't even have to go to Morningstar School in Spirit. <laughs> See, the trainer is the Holy Ghost. Paul said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now, I believe in, t I teach in all these training schools. But see, the trainer is the Holy Spirit. 
So that's what happened. That's quite a transformation. Isn't it? it's, it's, it's a vivid picture of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I want the fish back. Who, put the, who took the fish out? Where's the fish? I don't know why they caged the drummer. Let them free range one time and see how it works. Yeah. Well, I know some drummers ought to be caged. But, uh, but didn't you love the fish? I know, but I'm kind of childish that way. But it looked like a floating aquarium. I was often, well, anyway, I better not talk about that. Yes. You'll be surprised how far you can go if you're just ignorant enough to step out. You know what I mean. Don't try to figure out the consequences of it. Just jump in. That's what, hap that's what happens to me a lot. I just jump into things. You go, well, don't you weigh it out? And Nah. <laughs> I just jump in, shoot from the hip, and see what happens. That's kind of the way Jesus did. He would. I love the way he preached. He'd meander around. Hey, consider the lily. And he'd just walk around and talk about this and that. He didn't get in the synagogue. Well, he did a time or two, and they didn't like it. Every woe that ever came out of the mouth of Jesus was to the synagogue crowd, the self-righteous, hypocritical, pharisaical person. Woe! Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like a casket. Shiny on the outside, but when you lift the lid, whoo! You believe we serve a lid-lifting God? He's looking to see what's on the inside. You know, you're like a septicer, a graveyard, like a casket, shiny on the outside, but when you lift the lid. This God we're concerned with looks all about us. He's acquainted with all of our ways. The Bible said in Hebrews, we're naked and exposed unto the eyes of him in whom we have to do. The Bible tells you know, the Bible seems to teach that we were born naked, and then when we get into sin, we get naked. Yeah. Y'all don't understand that, do you? Well, anyway. You believe we're bent to sinning? The Bible said we come out of the womb speaking lies. You don't have to train a child to tell the truth. I mean, to tell a lie, you have to train them to tell the truth. Have you been into the paint, Jimmy? No, and it's all over the floor, all over Jimmy. We had, well, she's a grown woman now, but we had a, a, a I knew a little bitty girl, Carrie was her name, and, oh, we watched her born, nearly, and so she, came, she used to have long, beautiful black hair, and she came in one time, and she'd give herself a haircut, cut herself down to the scalp right here, and her mother says, Carrie, have you cut your hair? And she goes, No. Cut one of her dog ears off. She had big old dog ears. Yeah. Yeah. She's riding with me one time, little bitty thing in the car seat, little bitty thing there. And I had a little uh, Datsun, not a, it was a little bitty car, a little Plymouth Horizon, and a little, and I was shifting the gears. And little Carrie had always been a little smart aleck. And she goes, What is this, Bubba Bobby? A stingray? I said, no, it's a Plymouth Horizon. She goes, oh, it sure is little. See, she was going to like it if it was a sports car. Remember that? She'd always go, I'm buying a Lamborghini. That's, remember that? Bless her heart. She's a grown. She hadn't changed much. But, 
Anyway, what a difference one day can make. This guy woke up maniac, went to bed a missionary. Here's another one. You'll see it. What a difference one day can make. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 23, 24, 25, you were introduced to the largest famine in human history. The most severe famine mentioned in human history was happening in a city called Samaria. Some evil armies had set up a, a bulwark against that city to shut down all the food routes in, so the city was starving to death. It says that a donkey head, a donkey head sold for four pounds, four ounces of silver. That would be like buying a house. And it says, I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't in the Bible. It said the famine was so severe, they were dismembering their children, boiling their children, and consuming their children. Unheard of in human history. That's how bad the famine is. 2 Kings 6, 23, 4, 5, 6. And in the middle of that famine, in the middle of that famine, we've moved to 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. It starts with an English word. You'll have to help me. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. T-H-E-N. Then, then... A prophet stood and said, about this time tomorrow, there'll be so much food in this village, they'll be basically giving it away. Then throws us right back to the middle of the famine. See, anybody can prophesy when the bread trucks back up. But right in the middle of the famine, a prophet stands up and says, about this time tomorrow, there'll be enough food here, they'll be basically giving it away. Now, I'll tell you, you never get a good prophetic word without the enemy coming trying to steal it. You're, the next verse says, there was a counselor in whom the king had some confidence in. And so he says, right after the prophet said about this time tomorrow, the counselor, the wise guy said to the king, ha, don't believe a word of it. Even if God ripped open the heavens, that couldn't happen. So the prophet spoke up again and said, okay, big boy, you'll see it, but you won't get to participate. I'm paraphrasing. So, now I write books, and if you study anything, they tell you make your story flow. Don't chop your story off. The next verse, 2 Kings chapter 7, says, There were four lepers laying outside of the gate. Good God, I don't want to hear about four sick dudes. I want to know who's bringing the groceries. Don't you? I don't want to know about four sick, eat up lepers. About this time tomorrow, there'll be more food in this village than you could imagine. Wise guy, no way it's going to happen. There are four sick lepers laying outside the gate. Don't you find a little bump in the road? They, I mean, these guys are bad. They got advanced leprosy. Biblical law commands that they be put out of the city. There they are laying outside of the gate. Now, I kind of like the boys. Because they're laying there and they've got advanced leprosy. That's where pieces of them fall off. They're wrapped in uh, gauze. Woo. Can't you see them? You could say, Larry, you're half the man you used to be. No. <laughs> yeah, you're all thumbs. Yeah. Yeah, I can see them. There they are. These sick lepers. But I like their, their, their idea. They said, 
they begin to strategize. They begin to make some choices for change. Listen to me, church. If these weak lepers can do it, what about you? They said, if we lay here, we're going to die. If we get up and go back in that city, we're going to start die. The only course of action we have is to get up and go challenge this army. Why? Well, he said, the worst thing they could do is kill us. Don't you like those boys? They could have gone, oh, nobody knows. <laughs> they could have bemoaned their situation, but they didn't. They said, listen, there's got to be something better than this. What about you? How long are you going to put up with this? If we lay here, we're going to die. If we go back in there, we're going to starve. Let's go out and challenge this army. And these limping lepers get up and start out towards this army that shut down and starved out a whole city of the people of God. Here they go, limping Larry. They get there to the enemy's camp. It's totally evacuated. All the tables are full of food. There's treasures there. There's gold in abundance. There's silver. There's clothing. Anything, everything you could have ever dreamed of is there. Can you imagine those little lepers? I'm sure you heard them go, Eureka! That means we found it. Yeah. And they start, they start gathering in the bounty. They're gorging themselves with food. They're picking up gold and silver in abundance and carrying it out, hiding it in the tents. And then it was almost like a light goes on. Ding. They go, this can't be just for us. What about our brothers back there starving? So they go back to the city. Hey, come on. There's the wise guy again. Wise guy says to the king, don't do it. It's a trick. They just want us to open the gate. Yeah, like you got something they need. And finally, the king had a little wisdom. He said, we got some horses that ain't dead. Let's put some riders on us, send them out there and see if there's anything to this. And they get out there, and it's just like the leper said. More food than you could imagine. Everywhere. So they brought it in in abundance and opened the city gates. And guess what happened? The poor people were so desperate for food, they ran forward. And the wise guy, what happened to him? He got trampled in the melee to get the food. See, the prophetic word was fulfilled, wasn't it? But about this time tomorrow, there'll be much, so much food here. They woke up in a famine, went to bed in a feast. We're talking about hold on to hope. Embrace a new day. What a difference one day can make. Yep, that's the kind of God we serve. Turn the whole thing around just like that. Remember Israel in, in bondage? One day they go and spoil the Egyptians. Guys, I'm telling you, if God be for us, who can? How do we know God's for us? The cross. He that spared not his own son, but freely offered him up for us all. How shall he not? Remember the story? You ought to have been a school teacher. You feel like a school teacher. Yeah. Believe you me, I can feel them. Yeah. School got in my way of having fun. Yeah. Yeah. One of, my, one of my teachers signed my yearbook, and she said, bless her heart, it's your fault I had a nervous breakdown. 
Honest to God, that's how she signed. That's how she signed my yearbook. It's your fault. I had a nervous breakdown. Bless her heart. I could tell you what I did, you know, but uh, it wasn't that big a deal. She was the drama teacher. Now, I took drama. All the girls took drama. So I took drama. That was a mess, man. Could I tell you what happened that got Miss Ellis all messed up? Here's what happened. The drama, they, all had really come, uh, was real popular in Texas. And the, the region there was a real bust. They, there was a lot of oil wells, and so the school got a lot of money coming in from the revenue. So they built this big auditorium. And it was just like Hollywood. They built a big old stage with automated curtains. And so, that's where we held the drama class. Now, here's the drama class. We're all up here on this thing. And little Miss Ellis, she's over there about the size of this little guitar case, little bitty thing. And so, there was nothing to the drama. Miss Ellis is over there, and she goes, Project! Project! Good luck. The only line I learned was, Utu Boutte! <laughs> yeah, Utu Boutte! So anyway, all the little chickens were there. So I decided, this ain't drama. I'm going to give them some drama. This is what threw Miss Ellis over the edge. I guess the curtains were maybe, uh, how high is that? There is high is that wall there. And big old silk red-looking curtains or some kind of curtains. Automated, just like Hollywood. So I noticed a catwalk, a stairwell up there. And it got up there and it had ropes in case the automated thing wouldn't work. So I said, I'm going to climb up there. And I'd watched a program where you packed a parachute and it would unfurl. So I get up there and I think, you know what I'm going to do? Now, you don't think about these things. I'm going to pack them ropes like a parachute, and I'm going to run down this catwalk, and I'm as high as those walls up there, and I'm going to jump out across the auditorium, and I'm going to swing back in, and I'm going to come onto the stage. That's drama! So this is all the truth. I wouldn't do Listen, you couldn't hire a stunt guy to do this. You can get a stupid guy, but not a stunt guy. So help me. I climbed up the ladder. Miss Ellis and the little girls were up there. Project. So I'm up there. I'm on there, and I got in. I folded the ropes, those big old ropes, and I got them all like that parachute thing, and I put them on my shoulder with some uh, curtain. And so I ran, down the, I ran down the catwalk, and I leaped out. I, I said something I don't know, like Geronimo or something. It was some kind of thing. I let out a war hoop. And listen, have you ever done something and it went off better than you thought? That's what happened. See, you're holding pressure here and you're not falling just like a drop rock. Your, your momentum is letting you go little by little. I mean, uh, it was acrobatic. I swung out like this. And see, it's coming down like this. And I made a big swoop like that. And so help me God, I hit the platform running on my feet and ran right through them. Wow. I felt like Peter Pan. 
All I'd have needed was some spandex. I'd have been in the movies, man. So that's what happened. I hit the ground running and ran through the crowd just like that. Well, Miss Ellis, she starts hyperventilating and screaming. Ah! Real bad. Top level screaming. So she carried me to the principal's office, still screaming. Hyperventilating screaming. Y'all didn't know my principal, did you? H. H. Riley. Yorty. H. H. Riley. I think H. H. was hard hearted. <laughs> Mr. Riley had big old black rimmed glasses and he had a burr haircut like a Marine and he always wore a gray suit. He didn't sit at his desk, he lurched over the desk. <laughs> Miss Ellis brings me in there now. I was a football player. I know you didn't come to hear this, but it's coming out. I knew they wasn't going to expel me because I could play football. So anyway, Miss Ellis is screaming. Hey, here's what she said. He endangered the whole class. I said, well, I can't say what I said. I said something like, shucks, I'm the only one in danger. I'm the guy leaping off for 40 feet. They're safe as kittens in mittens, man. But here I come. So she's freaking out. Ah, he endangered the whole class. Still screaming. Finally, thank God, Mr. Riley put her out. So there I am. Mr. Riley's looking at me. Now, I don't know. I had just read a book about reverse psychology. How you turn people's thoughts your way. So, Mr. Riley slurched across his desk and he says, Bobby, I'm not going to expel you. I said, thank you, sir. Boy, I got remorseful. You know what I mean? So that psychology book that I read, Reverse Psychology, Mr. what got me into it, Mr. Riley said, Bobby, if you were me, what would you do? Reverse Psychology kicked in. I said, I said, I'll act real remorseful, and I'll tell him what, you know, he thinks he ought to do to me, and he'll see how remorseful I am, and he'll release me. Do you see it? That's how it worked in the book. So there, Mr. He's lurched over there. It looks like a, sort of like an undertaker. So <clears throat> I got really remorseful. I said, sir, uh, let me understand. If we had, if, if I had to pass judgment on you and you'd done what I've done, I said, sir, if I was you, I would give me corporal punishment. I said, I'm like you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expel me. See, you know, that would be grade points off. off. I couldn't stand. I mean, you can't get lower than an elf. <laughs> yeah. I figured elf was for fantastic. Yeah. I'd get a D occasionally for delightful. But I played football. I took Alter one two times a day for four years. Anyway, so I was remorseful, sir. If, if, I, if I was you, I would give me corporal punishment. I would bend me over this desk, and I would whip me. Guess what he said? Now, see, the book didn't come out this way. He said, brilliant idea. Stand up, take everything out of your pockets, and lean over the desk. Now, I don't remember a whole bunch of stuff that happened at school. I remember that day. 
he took a piece of plyboard about this long, about this wide with holes in it and two handholds, and he bent me over the desk and he gave me 17 of the hard, hardest licks I've ever had in my life. Knocked my feet up off the floor. Yep, I was nearly too sore to play football that Friday. But I remember that day. I'll tell you the truth of this is, reverse psychology don't work. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, I went back to that, my school and got to preach, though. Can you believe it? They invited us back for a 40-year reunion, and I got to go. I graduated in 62. Actually, I was incarcerated. They mailed me my diploma. I was in the Huskow. Yeah, that's true. On the road again. Can't wait to get... A cop hit me in the head with a lot. I got a hole in my head. Yes, so you say, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, God, I got a hole. Cop was trying to arrest me. The Bible said they bear not the sword in vain. So I mouthed off at the cop. He said, get in the car. I said, I ain't getting in the car. He hit me in the head with a big old metal flashlight. I'd have driven for him, you know. <laughs> anyway, then I got to go back and preach at her school. 60, 61, 62. So I'm there to preach on a Friday night at the school auditorium. I get there and my God, I thought I was at a nursing home. <laughs> Old, decrepit, bent over, gnarled, white as ghost. Most of them were dead. They had all the dead people's picture on the wall. Here's how I started my message that night. I said, look, most of our friends are not with us tonight. Wonder where they are. See, I had them then. You see what I mean? Yeah, but anyway, that's where a lot of this came back to me because they had memorabilia there of stuff. But I like school. We had a teacher named Miss Martin. I won't talk much about her. I blew up the science lab, but I'm not going to talk about that either. We had a science teacher named Mr. Guatney. All you saw was his butt. Well, I shouldn't say his backside. He talked to the chalkboard, you know. And we're back there. And he's drawing, he's a science lab teacher. And I'm bored, you know. How much can you take a hock, 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 hock? So we had that money and they had bought a big old aquarium. It was, it was as long as this to over here. It was as high as this. They'd fill it with all these exotic fish. Yes. And back then you could put electricity down in the river and turn a crank phone, the fish would come up, and you could scoop them up. So Mr. Guatney is So I decided if that'll work in the river, it'll work in this aquarium. This is how I blew up the science lab, honest to God. So I took an extension cord cut it off, stripped it back about 18 inches. And you know that you hear these people preaching now about vibration and sound. Hey, I can tell you about vibration and sound. You drop electric cord over into a fish tank and plug it in, you about to have some vibration and sound. I dropped those wires in this tank. Mr. Watney's up there. So I plugged her in. I'm telling you, the earth moved. It went, boom, boom. That's the water in the, and the glass is going, boom. And about two cocurms, it blew the whole side out of the thing. 
fish are going everywhere. And Mr. Guatney turned around. Guess who he found? You know, I don't know how you can get picked out of a crowd. It could be if you're the only guy there with an extension cord in your hand. That's what's me. School. Oh, Lord. I know y'all didn't come to hear this, but see, if God will use me, you got a shot. See? Do you see what I'm saying? Because you don't have to be perfect. Matter of fact, I wouldn't let any of the disciples on my ministry team. And Jesus turned the keys over to them. See, we think, oh, they were perfect. James and John, what was their nicknames? Sons of Thunder! You hear any volatility with those boys? And what about the mama's boys? They're walking with their mom and say, Mom, when you get to Jesus, get him to get us a seat on the right-hand side. The suck-up crowd, they were there. The self-seekers. And what about old Pete? Now, Pete wasn't a coward, but listen. Remember when all the soldiers came in to rest Jesus, he jerked out a dicara, an 18-inch fishing sword, and cut off one of them's ear? Now, that ain't a coward. Remember Jesus had put that up, that ain't how we're doing it now. Then he healed the guy's ear. What a Savior, isn't that something? Yeah. Then when a little 16-year-old girl said, you're one of his disciples, Pete said, I don't know that guy. Because face a whole garrison of soldiers, but was afraid of a little 16-year-old girl. Remember, finally, he even took a, made a vow he didn't know Jesus. And these are the guys Jesus called to be his disciples. See, what I'm saying is you don't have to be perfect to be used of God because it is God that has qualified us and not we ourselves. It is he that has made us fit ministers. That's a verse in the Bible. Here's your great verse. It is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You doing good? Good. She, about, she got me a pie. That's right. She read something about if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. That's Matthew 10, 41. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. I don't know about you, but I want to know what the heck is it. I'll tell you what it is. You want to know what a prophet's reward is? I dare you to believe it. A prophet's reward is the deepest desire of your heart given to you by the power of God. Where is that at, preacher? 2 Kings chapter 4. The Shunammite woman said, I perceive this as a mighty man of God. Remember that? She got the deepest desire of heart given to her by the power of God. That's what it is. Yes, sir. Well, 2 Kings 4, that's where that was. Have you ever not even met somebody you don't like them? I don't like that woman's husband, that 2 Kings 4 woman. Her husband's a jerk if I ever saw one, just by reading his character. Remember him? Remember that? What happens? The woman wanted a son. She gets a son. And the son, I don't know, he could be 12, he could be 13, he could be 8. I don't know, he's big enough to be out in the field with his daddy working. And he has a sunstroke, apparently. He says, my head, my head, and falls over. And the dad says to a servant, carry him to his mother. And his mother prayed over him, laid rocked him till he died. The boy died. The very promise God gave her died. And she says to her husband, help me settle the Help me saddle a donkey. I'm going to the man of God. And here's what the husband says. Ha, don't get him involved in this. Instead of being sympathetic over a dead son and compassionate towards his 
languishing wife, he wouldn't even saddle a donkey. She saddled it herself and took off to the man of God. Now that guy is dysfunctional, isn't he? And so the woman got back her son, didn't she? See, that's the way it is. So if the devil tries to seal your promise, what are you going to do? Go back to God and say, God, you said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word won't. He'll move heaven and earth to fulfill his promise to you. He said all of his promises to you are yes, yes. That's what it says in the Bible. God won't lie to us about what he wants to do for us. Isn't that something? Yes. You say, well, Bobby, why does it take so long? Okay. You believe God will give you a straight prophetic word and then the whole circumstances around it look opposite. God says to Moses, Moses, tell my people, come on, we're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. They take off, where'd they go? Desert! Right opposite of what God said. You have to read all the way to the book of Hebrews to find out why. It says God was trying their heart to show them how weak their confidence in him really was. They failed the test, didn't they? What'd they say out in the middle of the wilderness? Why didn't you leave us there? At least we had some onions and beans. That's what they said. And there they had Christ giving them water every day. Heavenly angel food falling. But they'd rather have some beans and onions. Wow. So those that didn't like the trip fell over dead on the way, didn't they? Yes. All that come out, just because you come out doesn't mean you're coming in. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You doing well? Me too. What kind of toys we got? Legos. Oh, my God. I got a grandson that's eight. He builds helicopters, stuff with Legos. I went to Legoville somewhere. Where was we at, Carolyn? Denmark. That's where they make Legos. Yes, they got a Lego city. They got their own airport. Well, honestly, they make people in the airport out of Legos. Have you seen in Japan where they got robots, mechanical people checking into the hotels? Yeah. This whole thing is kind of robotic, isn't it? I had to go, well, anyway, we got to get out of here in a minute, but I want to tell you, hold on to hope because God can change your whole circumstance in one day. And I suggest to you it's closer than you think. Just about the time you think, I can't endure another day. Weeping lasts through the night. Joy comes, what? I suspect all this sifting and shaking is to get us to the place where we're ready to embrace the dawning of a new day. The dawning of a new day. I'll guarantee you God wants us. I can show you how God brings a new day in. Isaiah 48, 6 and 7. Behold, I do a new thing. It's new now and not prior to now. So nobody would think, I already know about this. He said this new day is brought into existence by the prophetic word. Isaiah 48, 6 and 7. He said, I've got things that is hidden, kept in reserve for you, which you did not know. They are created now, called into existence by the prophetic word. That's what it says. I could read it for you if you needed to. What do you do? A baker? A baker or a banker? Banker, did you bring any samples? <laughs> oh, man. I was going to ask for a sample either way. If she was a baker or a banker. Yes. 
That's right. My grandmother used to make me tea cake cookies every day. They'd be about the size of a small hubcap made out of lard and sugar. That has to be good for you. I'd get out of school. I'd run up to my grandmother's house. Now, my grandmother had never watched any Dr. Phil, but she could read you like a book. I mean, you could lie to a lot of people. They ain't a one of you in this room could lie to my grandmother. She'd read you like a book. I tell you, I tell you when I kill one of her chickens, Granny fed her chickens with corn on the cob. We was out in the country. Can't you see her? Little Granny was old the first day I saw her, and she's old the day she died. She just maintained old. Strangest thing. But Granny would feed the chickens with corn on the cob. And little Granny throw the corns on the ground. The chickens go crazy. Then Granny put the cobs in a bucket and they would pour kerosene in the bucket and soak the corn cobs in kerosene so they could light the heater. Do you see? So. Now in Australia, they got boomerangs. Texas, they don't have boomerangs. You got soaked corn cobs. Now watch this. Here I am, I'm just a, I'm just, I never was a little boy. I, I'm out there and the chickens are running. Quack, quack, you know, just, you know, running across the yard here and there. And it's, see, kids have got Wii and video games now. We didn't have that but a squawking chicken. If you listen, you can hear him say, bet you can't hit me. So I grabbed up this corn cob, sopping wet corn cob, and if you chunk it, it, it makes a sound. So can't you see it? Granny's in the house, I'm in the yard. They was a connection. To the head, chicken dead. Hey, that's a rap song. Where's Hammer when you need him? You know, you could strike me a chord on that, couldn't you? Cob to the head, chicken dead. So I thought, well, I, I, I thought, oh my goodness, I've killed Granny's chicken. So I thought, I'll go get it. I picked it up. And then the fence row in my grandmother's yard was about 70, 80 yards up the road, up the pasture. So I said, I'm carrying this chicken up there, and I'm going to bury it. And she'll think a coyote, a wolf, has got it or something. So I go up to the fence row, and I kick me a grave. I throw the chicken. It's a foul thing. I throw the chicken down, and I cover him up. So here I go back down to Granny's house. Granny was always at the sink washing something. So I, this, hey, that's Granny's screen door. You don't need an alarm system. Her screen door made a squeaking sound. So here I am. I got blood on, you know, blood on my hands. I killed the chicken. Granny's over there washing something. That's me, and I'm going to slip on through Granny's house. And she goes, she always drying her hands. And she goes, what happened? Oh, I mean, all you got to do is get Granny to turn around and go, what happened? I spill my guts. <laughs> I mean, listen, I just, Granny, I didn't mean it. Well, well, huh? 
so I just spilt the beans on mine. And Granny said, guess what she said? She didn't fall on the floor and have to have a Valium, you know what I mean? She didn't jump up and get some Percodan or something. Guess what she said? Oh, don't worry. Let's go get it. We'll have it for dinner. So watch this. This is all the truth. Up we go to the burial ground. And we get up there. I get up there, and I get closer I got. I got closer, and I got closer. Oh, my God. There's been a resurrection. This chicken has resuscitated. The grave is empty. I said, Granny, he was right here, honest. Then it happened. Right down that away from Granny's house is the hog pasture. If we had music, it ought to be going, dun, 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 dun. I mean the hog pasture, you avoided that. They'd eat your leg off. You had to go in the hog pasture with either some food or a club. And I hear it down to the hog pasture. It's that chicken. He's out of his mind. He's been hitting the head with a corn cup, and he's going down to the hog pasture. Guess what Granny said? Come on. We've got to go get him. Listen, I'm scared to go in the horse, horse, hog, hog pasture. Good Lord. But anyway, Granny undid the gate. And that's how they, they know they're going to eat something, either food or you. But anyway, my grandmother so helped me, God. We got in the hog pasture and she got the chicken. Back in there we go. And she rung the chicken. And we had chicken. See? It started out bad. But God says all things will work together for those that love God. That's the honest to God truth. Now I'm going to skip the rest because of time. Back at school, the town was kind of small. And then after the football games on Friday night, you look for ways to entertain yourself. So here's what happened. The whole football team one Friday night after a game, you hang around for a while and you know how that is in a small town. And then it got later, but we didn't want to go home. So somebody said, what are we going to do? Somebody said, let's steal chickens. In Texas, then all the chickens stayed in trees at night. I mean, every house would have a chicken tree. They're just ignorant. They get up, they go to sleep, put the head on their wing. I've seen Christians like that. Asleep with the head somewhere in order not to. Anyway, so football team, we go around to the house, and we're filling up toe sacks with chickens. I mean, we were sacking them, throwing the sacks in the truck. Sack full of chickens. So we got several sacks full of chickens, and kind of the thrill wore off. It's about to get daylight. And so they said, what are we going to do with these chickens? It's early Saturday morning. Somebody said, I know. Somebody said, why don't we put them in the school? Now, you would have thought Mr. Riley and that bunch would have locked the thing down. Yeah, the old front door was locked. 
Side door was locked. Back door was locked. But the window next to the study hall. I don't know, but I was told it came up like butter. Anyway, we lifted the window and dumped sack after sack after sack. Set me free, why don't you, babe? You know, we're turning them chickens loose in the school. It's a bad, foul thing. Here's what happened. Do you know how big of a mess a truckload of stolen chickens can make inside a school? You put them in there Saturday morning. They're there all day Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, early Monday morning. Yep. Now, let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not pleading guilty to anything. But if you ever find it necessity to steal a bunch of chickens, vacuum your truck. You know what I mean? That's how I got busted. Now, I'll tell, you what the, I'll tell you what the football boys did. We practiced football every day, two hours after, served, after the school. Guess what we did for another two hours? We went to the school, and we scrubbed the school down with little bitty brushes, about twice the size of toothbrushes, with a chemical of something, Clorox, something, or chloroform, I don't know what it was. We had to scrub chicken stuff off of everything. I mean, where they wasn't even there. You had to scrub it down. I tell you, that's not near as much fun as stealing them. But he made us clean the whole school every day after football practice. Oh, it's, you know, that's right. And that doesn't have a thing. Well, I hope you got the messages. Hang on. There's a new day coming. You know, that's what happened, though. That's right. See? Can you believe that? Yeah. When I first started preaching, so help me God, the first few rows would be full of pol policemen to see if it was really me. See, honest to God truth. I was in and out of trouble all the time. But then Jesus came in. Now I just, I have fun. Really? You go, well, don't you understand how serious the situation is? I, I read the back of the book, we win. We're coming out on top. He created us to be victorious, not victim. Really? Well, we gotta go. Anything else, Carolyn? Oh, yeah, she said, tell about Mephibosheth. The, the Bible talks about uh, King David had made a covenant with Jonathan. Uh, said, uh, would you make a covenant with me that you'll show me kindness and favor? And he said, I will. He said, show it to me and my descendants all the days. Of and David said, I will. And 1 Samuel, it says that uh, 2 Samuel 9, 2 Samuel 9 verse 1 says that David had finished all of his battles and won them and there was kind of a respite going on. And he goes, oh my God, I made a vow that I have not kept. And so he says to Ziba, David, King David says to Ziba, one of the court reporters, is there anybody left of the household of Saul that I could show them kindness for David, for Jonathan's sake? And Oseba says, why, yes. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son named Mephibosheth, but we find out in 1 Samuel 4, 4, he was crippled when he was five years old because when he was five years old, word came that his dad and granddad had been killed in a battle, and a nurse picked up the little prince and started hastening away and falls, and I, I don't know exactly what happens because the Bible doesn't say what happens, but he said he's paralyzed 
And it says crippled in his legs. It's the strongest word in human, in uh, Jewish language for useless. He's, he's, he's paralyzed from the neck down. And that, that was him, a little five-year-old prince. And his dad had made a covenant with the king that he'd show him mercy. And so David had forgot about it. And all these years had gone by. And all of a sudden, David goes, oh, God, I made a vow all the way back there that I would show kindness to any descendant of Jonathan. And so he said, to him, go find out. And he said, yes, that boy Mephibosheth lives. Where's he living at? He was living in a city called Lodibar. Lodibar means dry, barren, uninhabitable. Nobody in their right mind will live in Lodibar. But he's living down there with an uncle called Malkar. If you looked at the word Malkar, the Hebrew word, it means salesman. But if I had to translate that word to you today, I'd say thug and shyster. Crook. He made a buck any way he could. That's what his name means. And he's raising this little cripple prince. Don't you know he's fed his mind with the propaganda? You better stay away from that king. You ever get around him, he'll slit your throat, drag you back to the gate, hang you on the... And there's Mephibosheth living down in Lodibar with the thug. And so, now David has told Ziba, you go find him. So one day somebody looks across a blistering desert in Lodibar. There comes a flag. There comes an entourage of people. They shelter their eyes. They say, oh my God, that's the flag of David. Ziba comes up. And he says to somebody standing in a rag shack, Mephibosheth live here? With a quivering voice, yes. Bring him out. How would you like to be Mephibosheth crawling in the dust? He crawls to the tent door. I don't know how old he is. Some people think 18, some think 20, uh, some think 32. I don't know. But I know it's too long to live like he's lived. And Ziba says, come, you're going with me. Ziba brings him back to David's palace. It's unheard of in protocol. Your Bible says this is all 2 Samuel 9. When Mephibosheth comes back, crippled, crawling on the ground, David gets off the throne and goes out to meet him. No king does that. They brought into the king with all kind of, but the king goes out to see him. Wow. See, the king is a man after God's own heart. We're going to find out the king comes out searching for the cripple and the lame, those that have been mishandled, those that are living subpar to where God wants them to be. And here's what happened. Boy, you can hear it. It's the saddest thing. David goes out, Mephibosheth! And Mephibosheth in the dust of the ground screams with his face to the ground, Who, who am I? Such a dead dog as me! That you'd come out to greet me. You can't find a lower opinion of a person's self in the Jewish culture than to call themselves a dead dog. Do you see how no self-worth? This is a prince we're talking about. This is somebody destined to the throne we're talking about. But he sees himself as a worthless dead dog. And here's what David says. We're talking about hold on. What a difference one day can make. David says to Ziba, Ziba, you and your 15 sons and your 20 servants from this day on, you tend the fields that were Saul's and everything that was Saul, King Saul's, everything that was Jonathan's, you give it to Mephibosheth. And from this moment on, he'll eat bread at my table. Woke up in a rag shack that morning, went to bed in the palace. What a difference one day can make. You talk about restoration. Can you imagine that? 
everything that was his grandfather's, Saul, King Saul, everything that was his father's, Jonathan's, now becomes his, and he has Ziba and 15 sons as servants, and then they had 20 servants. Isn't that cool? And it says, wouldn't you love to have been there that first night and pull the banquet door of David's? There's all David's royal regal sons. And look down. There's another one. He looks just like the rest of them. Where's his crippled feet? Under the king's table. Now, I want to tell you something. I love the story of Mephibosheth, don't you? Mephibosheth, the name Mephibosheth means dispeller of shame. You believe God has a way of turning your situation around? What people mocked you about, God can exalt you. That's the God we serve. What a difference one day can make. Hold on to hope. Here's your verse, I'm through. Hebrews 10, 35. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 says, Don't fling away your confidence, your steadfast hope in God. Because your steadfast hope in God brings with it a great recompense of reward. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Hang on. Help is on the way. All right. Well, let's see what God wants to do. I know this. He wants to heal hurting bones. Anybody here with hurting bones? That could be arthritis. It could be tendonitis. I don't. If you got hurting bones, stand up. God wants to heal you. God said, I'm going to heal hurting bones. So, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you, God, that you want all of us to be fluid and mobile, pain-free, joints, tendons, elbows, shoulders, knees, hips, spines. Well, we thank you. Lord, start in the skeletal and go all the way down. Make their bones strong. You said their bones would wax fat. Thank you for healthy bones. Thank you for bones that are healed. Lord, I thank you during this season you're taking out titanium and plates and screws and all of that kind of stuff. Lord, I thank you for original parts. And I pray right now and release an anointing and an authority to heal hurting bones. Uh, I bind tendonitis and a corporal tunnel. I bind that. Somebody's been slinging their hands because their hands constantly go to sleep. No more. No more of that. You'll be able to have sensation, true, true sensation in your fingers. Your shoulders will move. Your neck will move good. Thank you, Lord, for mobility. Say, Lord, thank you for pain-free mobility. Before you move your neck, no, no grinding. Thank you, Lord. All right, good. Now, there's a lot of people standing. A lot of people with hurting bones. I release this to you to be healed. Just be healed. I'm telling you, we're in a season God's taking out screws, plates. Yeah, some of them melt and run out on the floor. Yeah. There, there's pictures of screws, plates, and then the same arm, no screws, no plate. I saw a letter from a doctor. And the doctor said, I would not have believed this was the same arm had I not been the doctor that said it in two sets of x-rays. There it is with the pins. There it is, totally healed in one day. One day. Big old, big old baby Huey came to me, a big old football player in Texas. He goes, look, God's healed my arm. I said, how do you know God's healed your arm? It's in a cast. 
He said, well, when I came in so swollen, I couldn't, and he could stick a pencil on it, and before I could stop it, he said, and it don't hurt, quack, quack. I said, go to the doctor. That's the one that brought back the two x-rays, the letter from the doctor, remember that? Well, if God did it for him, he can do it for you. You believe it? Well, I better take the lid off this if I'm going to drink. That's that new fang dangle stuff. Did you know we're paying more for this than gasoline right now? California's, oh, I was out there in California. I couldn't hardly believe it. They got this thing called from the toilet to the tap. Yes, from the toilet to the tap. They take human waste, everything, put it through this process, put it through the process, run it in a glass, and stand there and drink it. You know, Mm. I know the Bible said I'll bless your bread and your water. Yeah, but that's the truth. Google it. Toilet to the tap. I tell you, thank God for water. Yeah, you're going to Google toilet to the tap, aren't you? Okay, so you get healed bones. Shake yourself around. Wiggle stuff around. You'll get pain-free. A, a psychologist teacher came to our meeting, and she's there. She was standing in front of me. She's a gorgeous uh, older lady and wonderful. And so she came and she says, "I'm here because I have a locked shoulder." I said, "Yes, ma'am, but you're healed." Remember, she teaches psych, uh, psychology at a university, and I said, "Yes, ma'am, but you're healed." And she said, "No, I, I'm here because I have a locked up shoulder." And I said, "Yes, ma'am, but you're healed." And she got this exasperated look. She's like, we're not communicating here. She says, no, I'm trying to tell you, I can't do this. And see, she was already healed. Yeah. Then she went nuts. Had a wonderful time. I ought to tell one other story. It'll, it'll, it, it's, not, it's a little, little bit offensive, but y'all will work with me. I got invited to Washington, D.C. President parks his helicopter right across the street. It's an all-black church. It's a Sunday morning. They got at least 25 pastors on the platform. They're dressed immaculate, and these are very educated people, most of them in politics, law, you know, professional people. So I get there to preach, packed out, and so I get there to preach. I open my Bible. Now, I don't, this is the part that might be a little offensive, but hold on. I said, uh, I'm sorry. I can't preach here. You're too white for me. <laughs> Look out! I'm the only white guy there. The whole church is black. And I said, I'm sorry. I can't preach here. You're too white for me. The preachers got really stiff. Like, oh, Lord. What's that guy going to do? And I said, no, I'm serious. I can't preach here. You're too white for me. So I closed my Bible. It's getting really, st you can't hardly breathe in there. And then away over yonder, away over yonder in one of the wings, way over there, there's a little old woman, little old black lady. Biggest thing about her was her hat. She, she might have been 80 pounds, I don't know. She's really old. And we got a whole bunch of stiff, and then I hear it, glory, glory, I seize it. That's what she said. Glory, I seize it. And here she came. 
She had a white handkerchief. She came running by me down on the front. Glory, glory, I seize it. Guess what happened? She'd shake the handkerchief, the Holy Ghost fell. Knocked all the preachers off the front row. Knocked it. They started rolling on the front. I thought they'd hang themselves with their tie and the Holy Ghost broke out. Because the little granny saw it. Now, what was that about? These people were trying to put on something they're really, they, be yourself. You know what I mean? That was wonderful. I knew a little lady. She, I, I went to Israel with her. She's 102. Her daughter was 72. She was a slave girl down in Louisiana as a little bitty 12-year-old girl. It's raining on her all her, you know, it's raining, but it wasn't raining on her. She, she told it out of her own mouth. She said, I was at this cotton field, a slave girl in Louisiana. No mama, no mom, no dad. Raining, rain was everywhere, and I looked, and it wasn't raining on me. said, I looked to the east, and here come a man walking in a white robe. It was Jesus. When she died at 105, she had downtown land in L.A., California. This is the honest-to-God truth. There's a big church out there, and the gangs moved in and started stealing people's purses, knocking the windshields out of the car, and the police, the L.A. police went there, couldn't stop them. Guess who they called? Call Miss Davis! 102 years old. Miss Davis settled it. Now, listen, here she is. I met her in 91 in, in Israel, but she's there to confront the gangs. Here she comes. I carry my Bible. Here, here comes the gang members. L.A. tried to stop them. The cops couldn't stop them. Here's what happened. Miss Davis walks out to the gang leader. That's, this is Miss, uh, Miss Davis. She gets in front of the gang member. Here's what she said. She said, you know, Jesus is my very best friend. He'll do anything I ask him to do. If I ask him to kill you right now, he will. <laughs> Honest to God truth, guess what happened? No more gang problem. A 102-year-old woman did what the L.A. police wouldn't do. She died when she was 105. She called me. She said, I want you to pray I'll go home. I said, uh, Miss Davis, you may be the only one between the judgment of God and that city. She said, he better get someone else. I'm ready to go home. Had property in downtown L.A. Little old slave girl. Jesus came, walked up to her when she was 12 years old. She told Paul Keith once, I seen him. Paul Keith said, who? She said, Jesus. She prayed for Paul Keith Davis when he's a businessman, put his hands, put her hands on his head and said, Lord, give him wisdom. He said, it hurt his feelings. He said, that's how bad I needed the prayer. Isn't that something? Yep. I, me and him was escorting her down the Via Della Rosa in Israel, 102 years old. You can't get a car down Via Della Rosa. It's, it's, and here, here she said, I want to walk it. Paul Keith, he's a gentleman. He's got his arm around her, trying to guide her. And I'm walking along with them. Israel, Via Della Rosa. And we get about halfway down the Via Della Rosa with Miss Davis. And she stops. Here's what she said. Mm -mm. Me don't think I'm going to make it. 
I needs a cab. That's what she said. So help me God. So help me God. You hear a car honking up at the top of Via Della Rosa and you hear him coming. Whoom! Whoom! He's running through shops. He's running across the curb. Back. Pulls right up to where me and Paul Keith and Miss Davis is. Rolls down the window and says, anybody need a cab? <laughs> See? God doted over her. Isn't that cool? She's in heaven now while I'm talking. But I want to tell you something. God can turn things around. And here, here's your good verse. I just pitch it out to you. Philippians 1, 6. He that hath begun a good work in you will continue it. He's author and finisher, not author and oops. So he's going to pull this thing off, isn't he? Yeah. Well, I'm going to the book table. So God wants to heal people. He'll heal hearts, circulatory systems. And he's going to deal with Alzheimer's and dementia. Somebody's going to find a medicinal medicine in the aquatic plant, a stem in an aquatic plant, and they'll derive a medicine out of it. It's going to reverse Alzheimer's and dementia. So if you know anybody in the medical profession or the chemical profession, talk to them. Tell them it's in the stem of an aquatic plant. There'll be a, a, a chemical derived out of that that'll almost reverse the total effects of Alzheimer's and dementia. Okay. That's true. We got to get out here. I had fun. I signed books for a while. Then we'll go eat something that's been mooing and pecking. <laughs> I ate with some vegetarians three meals, and then I said, "No, carry me to something's been mooing and pecking." Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You go. You ought to skip a few. I know it, but it's okay. You ought to work out. I found a verse. I got a verse for everything. It says bodily exercise profit little. That's that's. <laughs> But, you know, I'm stretching that one. You heard about the guy had a word for everything, you know? Well, anyway, I'm kind of like that now. But anyway, I could tell you some stories, but we better get out of here. It's late, and you've got to go to lunch. Some of you don't sleep. I'll, I can break sleep disorder off of any human being. If you've got any kind of sleep disorder, if you'll, I'll pray for you. God will break it off. You'll start sleeping better than you've ever slept. I've got testimonies that people said, I didn't sleep for 40 years without medication until you prayed. Here it is. The Bible said he'll lay his servants, his servants down and their sleep will be sweet. He said angels will encamp around about you. And so, Lord, I want to thank you. You want us to sleep and rest well. So I come against any kind of sleep disorder. Insomnia, whatever it might be, I break its power. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you'll lay your servants down and their sleep and the rest will be sweet. We'll wake up rejuvenated, strong, invigorated, and ready to face a bright, brand new day. So, Lord, I thank you right now that you'll deal with any manner of sleep disorder in Jesus' name. Say this, I receive it. That's how that works. Okay, I'm off at the book table. See you in a moment. Arrivederci. Yes, God bless you. Yeah. Thank you.